This is Ottawa's home for breaking news 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly with you till the top of the hour. It was a week ago today that the terror attacks took place in Paris. Wasn't quite this time. It was later in the afternoon that I heard the news broke. break. And shortly after that, I found out that two of my friends, two of my co-workers, were headed to Paris. One was Ezra Levant, rebel commander, as he calls himself. And you can see Ezra's reports on the rebel.media. But the other one is a man with an Ottawa connection. Gavin McInnes grew up in Ottawa. He's in uh, New York City now. But, Gavin, you went across to join Ezra and see for yourself firsthand what was happening in Paris. What's your takeaway after spending several days there immediately after the terror attacks? I think you've got the story a little backwards. I actually went there to join ISIS, <laughs> and I met Ezra on the plane. I and he see. He talked me out of it. He talked you out of it. Uh, yeah. Ga- Gavin is a, a joker, if, uh, if you're not familiar with him. In the past, <laughs> we have done such serious topics as uh, how the uh, Canadian Museum of Civilization, now the History Museum, ignores the contribution of the Scots to Canada. And, and and I think our best work ever, Gavin, was sitting in a pub on Spark Street talking about the beauty of hand-cut fries. Just walked about seven blocks here in New York to get hand-cut fries. And I threw them in a place called Five Guys, but it's it's a rare find. Um, yeah, I went over with Ezra because we wanted to, we knew the media was just going to, you know, the, the right-wing media was going to take the top talking points and put a right spin. The left-wing media was going to take the talking points and put a left spin. This, you can't really know what is going on until you talk to actual people on the street. Um, we spoke to we spoke to as they're called bobos down there. We spoke uh, Ezra had the courage to go to the Muslim part of town and walk in kebab shops. Uh, hold, hold on, you're you're breaking up a little bit, Gavin. Are you? Sorry, let me try to go by a window that went out. Okay. So is this, you, is you, this better? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. So you were saying that you were talking to uh, over there. They call hipsters bobos, and and Ezra went into a Muslim community. And I know Ezra just sent out an email about that. He said he got some hopeful answers, but also some some, some scary answers talking to to young Muslim men. But he would just go up and, and ask them questions. Right, and it took a long time because not a lot of people wanted to talk about it. You know what was weird about whenever we got Muslim with it, women would come up and tell us. Don't get it mixed up and, you know, start defending Islam, white women, not not Muslims, and their husbands would sort of be cuckolded, you know, with their heads bowed behind them. This happened many times. What about uh, the average Parisian? I mean, what what, what was – you put out a piece that I know got some pickup in the United States as well called Paris Needs a Slap in the Head. You didn't feel like the, the city had any fight left in it. No, the president is ready to fight. He called it a war. The police have incredible courage, storming into those shootings, getting their bulletproof shields shot to hell. Um, and they're also going into Les Banlieues, which is like going into Compton and Watts, but but if they had better cover, you know, the the, the thugs, I mean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, people are blowing themselves up yesterday. Uh, they're, they're catching all kinds of, of major militants to organize this thing. But the actual people of France, are basically divided into two groups, and or let's say three groups. Let's say forty uh, percent of the Mus- are Muslim and, and or Muslim sympathetic, and they blame the Jews 
And you, 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 I, I want to be clear. You actually got that from people that said many, many times th- this was an many attack times. orchestrated by Jews and Americans. Or it, it was a it was a desperate t- uh, attempt to fight back after the oppression that Jews and Israelis and Americans are enforcing on the world. Uh, they, we left them with no choice. It was like a pressure cooker. Uh, OK, um, we'll get more in the, the average Parisian. But I want to ask you, is that like a bit every time? something happens in North America, I have people emailing me or posting on my Facebook page, this is a false flag, this is a false flag, this is, you know, the government's trying to control us with this. It, it, it Was it that type of reaction where you're thinking, the person's just not all there? Well, the city is not all there. I found one guy, a guy named Pierre Lartide, who was the head of a group called Identitaire, Generation Identitaire. And those guys are considered right-wing nuts but there's nothing racial about their agenda whatsoever. There's nothing religious about their agenda. There's nothing, they don't mention the word Jew in any, anywhere. All they want is more French culture, less immigration, and less of Islamification. And there, that's incredibly radical. Okay. We're going to put so you on pause. Had, we're just going to say, we're going to put you on pause, bring you back in a minute, Gavin. I've got to do a business update and, uh, and then come back to you. Talking with Gavin McInnes, uh, an Ottawa boy living in New York now, but was in Paris uh, for last weekend and several days uh, until the middle of this week, checking out for himself what the city was like after the attacks, the attacks that happened one week ago today. Ottawa's home for breaking news, covering what matters to you. News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly with you until the top of the hour. After the bottom of the hour, we'll be talking to David Harris on the intelligence files, including finding out the latest about the Mali Hotel attack. This coming a week after the Paris attack, which I'm sure we'll discuss Syrian refugee issues and also what what's actually going on with this this claim of the Russians taking down the airliner, different things. You know David Harris, but right now we're talking with Gavin McInnes. He is a media commentator. You see him on Red Eye on Fox. You maybe read him years ago in, in Vice, a magazine he helped co-found. And you might have seen him on my old son news program. Joins us now uh, because last week, Gavin, you took off to Paris. You were in there for several days. We were talking about that. And, and you were saying there's about 40% of the population that is either uh, Muslim or sympathetic to the, the Muslim cause. And then where's the rest of the population coming down on this? Yeah, let me rephrase that. Out of the, the maybe 100 people we spoke to, about 40% were Muslim. The other uh, 40, 50% were um, hipsters and young people. And then, uh, you know, that leaves 10% or so uh, who didn't have an opinion. But out of, so all the Muslims we spoke to said, this has nothing to do with Islam. These are just freaks. Like, they saw it as the Adam Lanza case. It was just some nut bars shot something. And the fact that Charlie Hebdo had just happened, and both of these groups were screaming Alua Akbar and making it very clear that this was a Muslim gesture, uh, the Parisian Muslims denied it. Then we cut to the other group, this sort of hipsters who aren't Muslim, and they, they were more concerned with, you know, Americanization, like hamburgers and stuff, than they were about... Muslims, and they would, I, I don't know how many times I was told, I ate America. Meanwhile, they had just eaten a, a cheeseburger, so in a way they did ate America. <laughs> but um, they, they, their thing was, uh, we don't get it, and 
this, this, the, just like the Muslims, this has got nothing to do with Islam, and it's got more to do with you, and it's irrelevant. There's nothing you can do to prevent it. And then there's the hey, right-wing guys who, who got the story right. But you know what was interesting about all three groups? Not one of them had considered what could have happened if someone there was armed. Which is a big thing that happens in the States and immediately was mocked in Canada when people started to talk about that. I saw yeah, that online discussion here. the very first subject. When there's any shooting here, the very first thing we jump to is guns. And that, it's like the French brain has been scrubbed free of that debate. And they don't even, even the right-wing guys honestly said to me, one said, oh yeah, I never thought of that. I want to ask you about this, though. I, 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 can, I can understand if you are Muslim wanting to say, oh, this, this doesn't have anything to do with us. But the fact is you've got people saying they're doing it for this reason, isn't it not incumbent upon us to say they say they're doing it for this reason? Maybe they're not associated with you know this other group over here that is behaving just fine, but they say they're doing it for this reason. Don't we have to try and understand why? We're, we're yeah. always told about I mean, root causes. It's at the point where it's frustrating for the jihadists, the poor guys, because they are screaming this is about Islam, and people are there getting shot, and the, the friends of the people getting shot go, if there's one thing that wasn't about, it's Islam. And the jihadists must be going, hey, I worked hard on that attack. It, well, The Onion actually did a great uh, setup on that a couple of years ago, the satirical news site doing, um, you know, talking to uh, what they said was a, a representative of Al-Qaeda who was, yeah. who was annoyed that they couldn't get credit for it. Yeah, that's that. That's what's going on there. Paris has become an onion sketch, and you can't parody this because the reality is funnier. I had one woman scream at me on the street because Ezra and I were shooting at 2 a.m. by the memorial, which might not have been so smart, but Pernod makes you do uh, crazy things. And this, she was screaming. She goes, listen to me. It was a type of Muslim who did this, not Muslim. I'm like, listen to your sentence, lady. <laughs> So do, do you think, I mean, I, I was watching people celebrate the release of the new Beaujolais yesterday on TV, and they were doing it right down, down Paris. You could see the, the Eiffel Tower in the background. And on the one hand, I thought that's, that's weird. And on the other hand, I thought, well, okay, I, I didn't hear everything they were saying. Maybe good for them. Maybe they're saying we're not going to let the, uh, the terrorist attack, you know, remember after 9-11. If we don't do this, the terrorists have won. Maybe it's that kind of thing. Yeah, sort of, and I believe that if people were signing up or there was any kind of anger. But after 9-11, there was this massive flood of people going to the Middle East to fight. And I've talked to Green Berets that say, I still see guys here that are from Wall Street still in this war. But in France, it was, oh, we're going to beat them with joy and love. And I, I guess I could take that seriously if I saw any kind of anger anywhere. But as Ezra points out, we were seeing people sing John Lennon and top 40 hits like John Legend, holding hands, crying, literally thousands of candles that, and that, flowers. That was at the the rally that ended up breaking up because people were, were freaked. Something happened. It didn't end up being attacked, but everyone ran. But they'd yeah, been... a light bulb popped, and it scared a cop. Okay. And so they were singing. I, I remember Ezra telling me that, you know, you could smell pot all over the place, and people were singing top 40 songs. That was the memorial rally? Uh. No, that wasn't the, the march where the light bulb spooked people. That was just people who were at – there's a bunch of memorials. There's maybe three or four near that area where they're just – every statue or every crosswalk would just be piled high with candles and flowers. Um, 
but there was no, no one was punching, clenching fists, and no one was waving. That's a big thing. No one was waving French flags. They were waving a flag of Jim Morrison. They were waving flags that said, give peace a chance. They were spray painting, pray for Paris with big peace signs. But they consider it nationalist to wave their own flag. And that is ultimately going to be their downfall. Uh, that, that sort of thing has happened across Europe. People have been uh, harassed by local councils and police in Britain for putting up the English flag. And we all saw Merkel's face when she was handed the German flag. It was like someone handed her some German feces. So there's no good news out of your visit. This is what I'm taking away from it in in terms of the reaction of Parisians and the reaction of France. I mean, the reaction of the French government, they started bombing ISIS positions within hours. Yes, that's the good news. The good news is Hollande is way more Putin than he is Obama. And he doesn't care if the French are too weak to handle this mess. He's handling it. Also, the police force in Paris has gigantic gonads, and they are going into the scariest places you can imagine, and they are getting shot at, and they, uh, people are blowing themselves up, and they're still going in there and facing this problem head on. So the fact that the bourgeoisie are drinking champagne and telling us Americans that it's our fault and it's les juifs and all that isn't necessarily life-threatening right now because at least the top brass still have courage. I mean, here in America, we've got Obama calling himself a Muslim accidentally the other day. We are, uh, in a sense, in more trouble than them. Uh, got a couple minutes left. I want to ask you, I know in um, we're bringing in 25,000 refugees between now and January 1st. President Obama has said 10,000 by next October, I think, is his it's not even a deadline for him. It's kind of a, we hope to do it by then. And you've got governors freaking out, including Democrat governors. It's not all just Republicans. It's Republicans and Democrats are saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure about this. We saw Republicans and Democrats vote on a bill to say, no, you're not going to do it in the House of Representatives yesterday. Any any sense that you're picking up that they're Americans, regular Americans or politicians are bothered by by Trudeau's plan of 25,000 in four weeks? Yeah, I think everyone, you know, the normal American outside of the hipsters and the liberals, the normal American is very concerned by this. We've always known that there's people in war-torn countries. We've always known, what, what is it, two-thirds of the world is starving? We know there are people suffering. We don't have room for everyone else's problems. And, okay, say hypothetically we are going to take, take, start taking in some refugees. How about Christians? They're getting, literally getting crucified. They're crucifying children over there. Uh, we, we got one Coptic Christian who does a Muhammad video. We put him in jail for a year. America's taken in 53 Christian refugees. They've already, already we have 2,000. That's 40 times as many Muslim refugees as Christian. And he wants to bring that number up five times higher. And then we have Stephen Colbert mocking us, saying, um, oh, oh, the plaque on the Statue of Liberty says, bring us your huddled masses, but mostly Christian. Mostly Christian is not one-fortieth of the amount. Well, and yeah, up here, oh, we're, see, we're almost out of time, but up here, Stephen Harper said, we'll bring in all the religious minorities, and that includes the Alawites, which is the Muslim sect that Bashir al-Assad is. Guess what? They're getting killed as well, but that's still considered too bigoted in, in Canada. Oh, my God. He, he said bring in the Christians, the Druze, the Yazidis, the Baha'is, bring in anyone being killed by ISIS because of their religion. 
that was considered I don't, I don't even like that. I don't even <laughs> like that. And there's there's this assumption that, that everyone is assimilating like it was for you and I and for our parents and our parents' parents. Assimilation is no longer fashionable. It's no longer the norm for immigrants. So we have to reevaluate this whole system. Gavin, thanks a lot. Gavin McInnes joining me from New York City. I'm Brian Lilly. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. There's a man who leads a life of danger. To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger. With every move he makes, another chance he takes. I'm being cued to talk, but who wants to talk over this song? It's so awesome. A little, got a little bit of the the surf thing going on. Brian Lilly here with you. David Harris joins me now for the Intelligence Files. And David, a week ago, um, I don't think at this time we knew about the Correct. what was going on in Paris. By the end of the day, it's all everyone was talking about the Paris terrorist attack. Now today. We've got another one. This one happening in Mali. The last num- latest numbers I have and is 27 people dead. Uh, there were 170 hostages taken. We believe the hostages are freed now. And I- I'm reading this report that says U.S. and French special forces are taking on these Al-Qaeda-linked terrorists, is what they're being called, in Mali. Why would U.S. and French special forces be in Mali? Well, of course, the French have a significant uh, position in Mali. It's part of, if you will, the extended power projection of uh, France. But former colony. Exactly. A West African country of 14 million, 90 percent Muslim and uh, I guess about 5 percent Christian. It's uh, been at the heart of all kinds of trouble with al-Qaeda-related organizations for a while. Indeed, they had uh, so taken control of the northern area a few years ago that uh, Islamic Sharia law was imposed. So all of which is to say that uh, there's been a great military presence on the part of the French you'd expect as part of that to have a significant representation of French special forces because they achieve all kinds of things that regular forces might not quite be able to achieve, whether it's certain kinds of reconnaissance, targeting, and so on. But similarly, the Americans, and maybe an even bigger question is what they might be doing there, if this is true, is uh, providing a good deal of technical assistance, including uh, some of the very, very high-tech Um, audio and related monitoring, but also they have means for dealing with people on the basis of uh, sniping and other such things. Now, the American interest, of course, in being around such areas is that a contribution by a country like the States tends to entitle them even more than usual to some of the intelligence take that can be found if and when enemy forces are overrun. So, you know, you get your hands on laptops and so on that might be captured, and these can be useful in global terms. Okay, so what do we know about this this group that led the attack this morning in in Mali? We believe them to be an al-Qaeda-linked group. Do we know more than that? No, it's uh, really very, very early at this point. The uh, whole production began, it appears, with people bellowing uh, Allah Akbar, uh, God is great or God is greatest and so on. Uh, the by now familiar uh, launch. And similar to, to what we, we saw in Kenya mm-hmm. during the mall attack, reports of testing knowledge of the Quran for hotel guests. And if they had sufficient knowledge, they were let go. 
Precisely. So that was further, and many feel complete evidence that this is an Islamic terrorist operation. And uh, yes, uh, God help you, so to speak, if you didn't know the appropriate Quranic verses, I suppose. We've seen this on any number of fronts, and it is indeed a frightening development. Al-Mura Bitun, that's the the Al-Qaeda-linked group Mm -hmm. from Mali, claiming responsibility. Don't know a lot about them at this point, though. That's right. There are so many offshoots. We've got the lone wolf issue all over the place. Uh, lone wolf being a bit of a misnomer, given the fact that this tends to attach to, of course, a worldwide caliphate dream that uh, has been underway for any number of years. So, uh, in, in Mali, let, let me ask you about that because northern Mali uh, gets close to you know what most of us think is North Africa, mm-hmm. uh, along that Tunisian, Morocco, all of that. That would have been the caliphate. Years ago, correct. They would like to attach Mali to that caliphate. This group. Oh yes. Oh yes. I mean, when when you look at all the different places that Al Qaeda or ISIS-linked groups are in control or attempting to take control, if they do link up, it would not take much to run that around to at, at least to to Egypt, and then whether they'd go around Israel up to Syria remains to be seen. But th- this is what you know, the civilized world is trying to stop is the return of this caliphate at being ruled by bloodthirsty savages. Yes. And uh, the home truth is that this would merely be the beginning. The enemy are refreshingly straightforward about their demands to take over the world. And uh, remember that Spain is part of this because they believe that anywhere that uh, Muslims have ever existed is properly a an Islamist possession should and, be and, part of the caliphate. Parts, I believe they want parts of France. So mm-hmm. it, it is a, a real issue. Oh, I hope people are watching over the next little while. Eyes to see, ears to hear. David Harris joins me now for The Intelligence File. Brian Lilly from the Rebel.media here with you until the top of the hour. Uh, David, I want to ask you quickly about the, the Paris attacks. We were talking with Gavin McInnes earlier. Uh, he doesn't seem like, he, he didn't come away from uh, Paris with the sense that the average Parisian is you know, fully in touch with what's going on mm-hmm. or, or cares enough to, to fight back. Uh, you were telling me about a, a book that, that looked at uh, a whole generation, a woman went underground and, or, or so undercover, not mm-hmm. underground, undercover, interviewed people a decade ago uh, uh, about the uh, Belgian uh, problem that they're having now with people going to join the jihad and warn them. No one paid attention. Do you do you think? What's your sense of Paris and France? Are are, are they are they ready to to turn things around? Well, I think there's great concern in some quarters, but I don't think, as in Canada, in fact, I don't think there's much of a realistic understanding of the nature, scope, and extent of what is to be faced and will be coming. But uh, that's natural. You've got people who have largely lived a life of uh, considerable prosperity and security. So these things keep surprising us, which in itself should be a surprise based on the history. I think that it's interesting on the Syrian uh, refugee issue is that You've got a lot of Canadians going, oh, hold on. Mm-hmm. They're not saying no refugees. They're going, hold on. You know, we've got tens of thousands signed up to our petition at refugeepause.ca. Mm-hmm. Polls are showing that Canadians are not all that excited about it. They're saying, let's slow down. Let's make sure security's there. That gives me some hope. Well, that's right. And it's, of course, consistent with the idea that 
if you are looking at this from a security perspective, how on earth can you realistically expect to get behind the Syrian border and get into whatever records or histories may or may not be available there? I mean, it's... Uh, but no, we're going we're gonna to interview everyone quickly before they get on the plane in Amman, <laughs> Jordan. I mean, this is, this is part of the plan. We'll send CSIS agents and CBSA <laughs> agents uh-huh. to Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking 900 a day. That's got to be a, a serious logistical challenge. I think that, you know, 10 to 18 months to security background check someone is a little ridiculous. I think that's too long, and I think it's typical bureaucrats, you know, stretching everything out because, well, I could go for another coffee or I could, you know, take a long lunch, whatever. But somewhere between 10 to 18 months and five minutes before you get on the plane, there's got to be a happy medium. Well, I, I may even have to disagree with you that uh, 10 to 18 months is unreasonable because, again, the question is what is the result or product you get out of the exercise? We, You know, it, it's, it's some kind of a reasonable assurance that people won't do you harm. And uh, if you have no realistic way, a meaningful way, of finding out about people's backgrounds because they come from an area that may be chaotic or that may be under the control of a brutal dictator, as is the case here, and there are no reliable police records or anything of the kind, Mm -hmm. then who's to say that 10 years will do the trick? In which case, how do we then handle the situation once we brought them over? And furthermore, as you may know, thanks to a Supreme Court of Canada decision in 1985, it is extremely difficult to get people out of the country and prevent them, indeed, from using I, for years and years all kinds of immigration appeals and refugee system appeals and reviews. I've covered people that uh, were <laughs> lied their way into the country, were convicted terrorists on all kinds of fronts with all kinds of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And it has taken us mm-hmm. years, decades. Uh, I think one gentleman, one of the Rwandan war criminals that yes. snuck in with yes. a, a group of refugees we were trying to be compassionate to. He terrorized his community while he was here, uh-huh. and it, it took us a decade. I've spoken to so many people like that to get rid of him. That's right, and so, that's right. And for refugees, I mean, seven months is hardly unheard of. They say many refugees that that was appropriate because they want a secure country. But let's remember something else: the people we're taking are coming from camps. There, they are safe, unless perhaps they are Christians and Yazidis where to the extent that radical Islamists may prowl these camps, they could be in severe danger, which then raises other questions about whom we should be privileging oh, with special no, speedy no, treatment. no, 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 no. We can't do that. The Toronto Star will hate you. <laughs> I want to get to a couple of other issues on your list of topics today. we got a couple minutes left. Um, and this one caught my eye, completely unrelated to everything else we've talked about today, but it's shocking to me. Maybe it shouldn't be, considering they, the U.S. now goes to uh, Russia to launch its... Um, uh, spacecraft, uh, or they've you know they they they've relied on Russia to get American astronauts into space. The Pentagon is going to Russia for cybersecurity work. I haven't heard of this. What on earth are you talking about? <laughs> well, the farmers like to farm, and uh, the Pentagon likes to farm out. And unfortunately, they like to farm out occasionally some of their coding work. This is ultra secret stuff. Two of all entities and countries, Russia. It appears, according to a lawsuit that's been underway, and thanks to the Daily Beast for this one, that uh, the United States, through the Pentagon, has had some extremely sensitive military communications and cipherment work done by two companies. And there's been, as I say, a lawsuit that's arisen from this. 
and a major, I think, $12.75 million settlement. But those companies appear to have gone to a Russian company. And as a result of the work of the Russian company, it is claimed that numerous viruses uh, may have been installed <laughs> in, in a network run by the Defense Information Systems Agency. Now, you've got to know what that agency is. I, I have no idea what that agency <laughs> is, but it sounds important. So why are you letting the Russians near it? <laughs> I mean, it, it when, I, when I hear about cybersecurity in <laughs> Russia, I'm generally thinking of hackers because uh, whether it is – I don't know if you saw the piece that was a while back at New York Times did a great expose on mm. – the troll factories that, that Absolutely. Russia has, the cyber attack yeah. areas that Russia has, it, you know, it, it, it's similar to what China does. They try and penetrate by just employing people in these in, mm-hmm. in these farms and their job penetrate the security of the United States. Cyber attacks constantly. That's what I think about with Russia in cybersecurity, that they're a threat. Well, that's right. And we must never forget that this is, after all, a security state, a police state, right? And there has never been a reckoning with regard to the nightmarish NKVD and KGB and so on. And now we're at the SVR and they're as aggressive as any intelligence service could possibly be, including on the signals level. So no surprise that this virus has been found. And this is part of, it seems, of a $1.5 billion project. So, and, and a key thing to remember what they are working on in communications terms are combat-related networks. So if the enemy, as a result of some kind of leak of information or illicit programming, is going to have control of your communications on the ground, you may see a great many of your troops uh, extinguished. Okay. I remember being convinced to join the communications reserves mm. as I was leaving high mm-hmm. school. A friend who I'd been in Army cadets with, we were in an infantry unit, yes. said, yes. let's join the communications reserve for a summer job. It'll be safe and easy compared to the infantry. We won't do anything. And the first thing we found out was communications are the first thing that your enemy will go after. Exactly. Because if you can't talk, you can't communicate, you are not effective. That's right. And did, did, that's did, right. Did no one at the Pentagon get the same lecture from Sergeant Shaw that I did? <laughs> well, the, the truth is, too, that I guess the Pentagon didn't plan it this way, but there obviously was some kind of supervision lacking. And uh, as you say, <laughs> even on the tactical level, those people who used to be carrying these bulky uh, uh, radio sets uh, were the first to be hit by snipers in many cases because the enemy knew the importance of communications. So uh, uh, out of this has come now is the hero, a fellow by the name of Kingsley, who seems to have been the whistleblower who laid a complaint in this regard. And thanks to a piece of legislation in the States called the False Claims Act, Good old Mr. Kingsley may come out with $2.3 million as his share of the overall settlement. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> there was at least a silver lining for somebody he, in this. He'll get some money. The American taxpayer will be out money, and they'll be out some security. I, I, I can't believe it. I remember talking to, to staffers mm-hmm. on Parliament Hill years ago about um, similar country that we have issues with, that being China, oh, when yes. MPs, and, and, and it's MPs, government or backbench, any party— end up going away to uh, on these trips to China. Oh, gosh. They, they try to make sure that uh, they don't take their government BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. They're given different uh, phones while they're there. Mm, yes. Don't take any USB keys and plug them Correct. into your computer because all of that will lead to something. 30 seconds to you, David, on uh, final word on this. Well, happy memories. I just remember speaking to a, an assistant to a parliamentarian a few years ago, and he described how he just saw out of the corner of his eye his newly returned MP back from China with a gift 
gift, USB, from the Chinese, and the MP was about to plug it into the computer. I believe the assistant dived over a desk and stopped him dead. So there we have <laughs> This is what national defenses come to these days. David Harris with the Intelligence Files. Good seeing you, my friend, a in person. Pleasure. It's been a little while. <laughs> Take care, Brian. Right. I am Brian Lilly uh, from the Rebel.media. You can catch me there all through the weekend or on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Back here on Monday morning, 10 o'clock on the Island of Sanity for Lowell Green. News at the top of the hour is next. This is News Talk 580 CFRA.